All right, give it a few moments here to allow people to log on. Happy Thursday, everybody. Happy Thursday. How's your week been, Roy? Good, good, crazy, but good. Yeah, crazy is good right now. <laughs> Welcome to California. Yeah, happy to be here. Great. Well, we'll kick it off now. So welcome everyone to the Cannabis Marketing Live podcast, where we cover the latest marketing strategies and trends that are most effective in growing your cannabis dispensary, delivery service, or brand. I'm your host, Guillermo Bravo, and today we're discussing the next evolution of cannabis DDC strategies uh, that spark demand. So how to future-proof your cannabis brand with Ginger Commerce founder and CEO, Roy Ettery. Welcome to the show, Roy. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Always looking forward to, to really diving into some of the, this topic. It's definitely hot. Uh, a lot of people have been asking uh, for information about going D2C. So uh, before we kick it off today, I'd like to give a shout out to our sponsor, MediaGel. MediaGel is the leading cannabis marketing platform, helping cannabis brands reach consumers through their compliant ad network with real-time reporting, an analytics dashboard, and conversion tracking. Uh, so MediaGel.com if you want to take a look at them online. All right, Roy, well, let's dive, in, uh, let's dive into the meat of this. So, you know, why is it taking so long for brands to even consider launching a D2C uh, program in their, for their brand? Well, I think in general, the industry is relatively new, especially the, the yeah. legal industry. Um, and um, I sort of liken it, you know, I got into the business in around 2013, 14. And around that time was really when the industry was sort of moving from uh, kind of the gray market or the yeah. uh, medical market in, in California um, into this sort of CPG retail experience world. And, you know, the industry had to evolve uh, into that, learn how to do that really well. And I think only now we're sort of at that point where the industry is uh, ready to take a hard look at what other channels exist out there uh, besides retail and delivery services or traditional delivery services. And I think now is the right time to be looking at DTC. Yeah, 100%. And like, what's changed in the market to really bring this wave of D, you know interest in DTC and really implementing this and adding this to your operations for a brand? Well, I think in general, and right now, Ginger is only launched in California. And I think a lot of our conversation is going to surround California. It's the one yeah. market we're in and that we know real well. There's obviously a lot of parallels in some other, in other uh, markets. But primarily in California, I think what's happening right now is there's just a convergence of a number of sort of macro and micro trends and, and dynamics that are affecting the economy as a whole and the industry specific. I think there's no, uh, there's no two ifs, ands, or buts about it. The industry right now is going through some, uh, a rough patch, if you will, uh, yeah. in the sort of up and down or the boom and bust. We are certainly kind of on this downward slide. And as it relates specifically to brands, um, in the end, there probably are um, maybe a third or even less the amount of retail shops that need to exist anyway. So first of all, opening dispensaries is a very expensive endeavor. Uh, it's mm -hmm. timely and expensive. And there's a lot of cooks in that kitchen. There's yeah. local regs that limit some bans, some limit the amount of uh, retail shops, etc. So there's just so many complexities to open enough retail shops to meet the demand. And so I think that 
that right there is creating a situation where there's more brands than there is retail shelf space, compounded by the fact that it's really difficult to operate a dispensary, especially operate one profitably. And so that means that there's a lot of cash flow issues that in the end trickle down to the brand because ultimately, you know, the consumer pays the retailer, retailer pays the distributor, distributor pays the brand. And if there's any kink in that supply chain, the brand is the entity that sort of receives the dollars last. So when you get into a point where there's not enough retail shelf space, which means whatever exists is very competitive and there's 10 brands vying for one shelf. And the fact that even if you've gotten into the shelf, it's very difficult for you to get sell through. And if you've gotten sell through, it's very difficult at times to get your money. At least if you get your money, it's kind of that 60, 90, 120 day cycle. So that is causing brands to say, okay, what other solutions are out there for me? And that's where sort of Ginger comes in and says, you know, we have a simpler or DTC as a whole, uh, it offers a much simpler supply chain and direct access to your customer. Yeah, you know, it's, uh, it's surprising when I share this with people that, you know, two thirds of California counties don't even allow cannabis. <laughs> so you're just handcuffing the industry there in addition to 280E, yeah, you know, inability to write off tradition, you know, marketing expenses to your business. Uh, you know, the, you know, the Forbes article that, uh, you know, funny, funny enough, it had burner on the cover, but you know, the, the title is marijuana meltdown. So it's really, <laughs> really, you know, burner is uh, one of the, you know, successful companies that, you know, that is doing a great job, but other people are, into, you know, the, the tax alone, I think it was the CEO truly was saying like, after all said and done, it's like close to 60%, which yeah. is just absurd and uh, you know, pretty much impossible to, to be profitable at that type of high tax rate. So <laughs> it's, yeah. there's a lot, there's a lot stacked against anybody in the cannabis yeah. industry, no matter how good of an executioner you are, let alone if you do make some critical uh, errors or, or mishaps along the way. Um, but I think from a retailing perspective, uh, where at least Ginger finds the sweet spot, is we, we're trying to run the balance between helping brands scale, but doing it in a way where we ourselves also have sustainability and viability. So mm -hmm. traditionally, when it got to the delivery service segment, most delivery services were sort of competing for that sub one hour delivery. And you know, I'm one of the co-founders of Ease. So clearly have an understanding of, of how that business model sort of plays out. And the sub one hour delivery tends to draw in um, a consumer that is sort of looking for convenience, for immediacy, mm -hmm. and quite frankly, also for deals, you know, so yeah. I have 40 bucks in my pocket, what can come to me in less than an hour and is the best price. Yeah. And that's an interesting segment of the, of the market we find it, my, my own personal opinion, is very difficult to be successful running a profitable business offering that because you're essentially yeah. buying inventory, you're marketing your on-demand service. And when you've succeeded, all you've done is you've targeted a consumer who essentially is bargain shopping and is looking for convenience. They're not necessarily a brand loyalist. So our interpretation of direct-to-consumer is one by which we enable the brand to try to unearth and find that brand loyalist, that person that is going to order maybe once or twice a month, potentially be on a subscription model, 
get a one to two week supply. And they're there because they like your brand, not because in an hour they're going to a party and they need to show up with something. Yeah, I uh, spent some time at uh, Smokeland in uh, Oakland, California yesterday, just kind of looking at their operations. And, you know, they position themselves as a, uh, as a value brand, right? So they have, I think, like $40 Ace. And they really just, you know, position themselves as a value brand. They know who they are. Uh, and, you know, I feel like that's uh, the challenge with a lot of these brands is they, they don't know who they are. They're, they have too many products in their line. Uh, and spread too thin on yeah you know and, a lot of factors you know, to be to be honest with you i think that in our opinion obviously and I, i'm a big champion of direct to consumer but yeah. there's so many um upsides and, and possibilities that come with direct to consumer it's not mm -hmm. just another channel to sell your product it's a channel that comes with insight consumer insight yeah. so you can you can um basically market your product in different price points to different demographics at different times, you can acquire, you know, advertise your campaigns on different publications that are known to target uh, different segments of, of the market. Yep. And then with that data, you can truly get a profile of who your consumer is, what's their price point tolerances, et cetera. And that allows, that gives you that immediate feedback to make smart decisions as you're running the business versus if you're relying on the retail channel or even on delivery services, you're usually not getting that data. If you get it, it comes in onesie twosie little hearsay yeah. that a sales rep or an, a brand ambassador said. Um, etc. It's just not something systematic and programmatic. So one of the advantages of running an e-commerce business is you get very deep intel onto your customer. Yep. Yeah, you get those insights in your customer. And, you know, if you go down the route of um, going D2C, you know, you have the ability to monetize your website traffic, right? So you get to invest in an asset that you own as a brand, drive people directly to your brand website, and allow customers to shop your entire product catalog, not just what's available at the you know retail partner or delivery services that uh, that you work with. You know they can choose to carry only a few products that fit within their product mix. This gives you the ability to uh, give the whole suite of business to to these potential consumers. So definitely, uh, you know, monetize that uh, web traffic, build these uh, first party consumer audiences, and ultimately increase your profit margins, right? Uh, so there's a lot of value yeah. in yep. D2C. <clears throat> I, I sort of liken it. If you're selling in retail, you're getting a sale, but you don't get a customer. And you're, you're getting a wholesale sale at that. That mm -hmm. the retailer takes a, a very chunk of the sort of a, a very big chunk of the markup. It takes the entire sort of spread between wholesale and retail. Um, so you're giving up margin there. But ultimately, you know, you're you're not gaining any insight on the consumer and you're you're subject to the whims of the buyer at the dispensary. So like you said, they may only want to carry certain SKUs or they may control the retail price in a way that is not favorable to you as a brand, whether they mm -hmm. you have a good brand. So they'll do a higher markup because they can. Or let's say it doesn't sell through to their liking or for some reason they need to liquidate their inventory to uh, grab cash. Now your product's in the discount bin and yeah. you may not want that as well. So you basically, once you've created that wholesale sale, you have zero control uh, or up to zero control. Sometimes you can exert some control, but by and large, 
you basically are a leaf in the wind and that's not a good position to be in, or at least just to put all your eggs in that one basket to just have one channel. And, you know, when, when I have conversations with brands, what are you willing to invest in direct to consumer? Initially, those conversations go around a marketing budget. Um, and I sort of say, hey, you know what, let's define marketing and let's define sales. And, and in my mm-hmm. opinion, marketing in California uh, for a cannabis brand is typically uh, you know, trade shows, uh, general mm-hmm. awareness, uh, you know, those kinds of things, sponsorships of events and, and things like Giving that. Giving out swag and that type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe billboards or just general brand uh, awareness. And that to me is sort of what you would invest in the marketing. But then when, when it comes to the sales team that gets you into the retail uh, stores, that's still an expense, but the output of that is a sale, a wholesale sale. Mm-hmm. So I liken the investment that a brand needs to make in direct-to-consumer, not as a marketing expense, but really as a piece of their overall sales budget. So if you take a, a typical brand that employs you know, five to 10 sales reps to cover a state like California, and their mm-hmm. job is to knock on doors and get POs for a wholesale sale. So you sort of equate their salary and all the spend that you're putting into retail that's typically categorized as a sales expense. Well, if you just take a piece of that budget, take 10% of your sales budget, put it in driving traffic to your website because the output of that is exactly the same. The expected output of driving traffic to your website once you're doing DTC is that you're generating a sale. And in, in this instance, it's a retail sale and all the benefits that come with that higher margin and the yeah. connectivity to the consumer, which is something you don't get when you spend money in sales in retail. You, you know, you're just getting the wholesale price. You could at any point in time be kicked out of the shop for no reason other than some other brand gave them a sweeter deal. And, yeah. uh, you know, I think that's where the advantages lie with DTC. Yeah. I mean, when I, when I think of DTC, it's, it's all about the customer ownership. So by having your website and your e-commerce and everything set up correctly allows you to collect, retain, and activate that first-party data, right? So you can do retargeting uh, for, you know, display programmatic campaigns. You can leverage the data to connect with consumers, you know, through text message, through email, through push notifications. Uh, You can add that audience to uh, retargeting in Google or Bing ads. So there's a lot of ways to build deeper connections with your fans uh, and you really want to give them that those opportunities to share their, you know, engage with you, but then share this on their social media profiles, engage with you, give reviews, right? Give you those valuable feedback so that you can, you know, you know build, you know, improve your product or improve your brand. And, and really, you know, third-party reviews are, you know, really powerful nowadays. Everyone's looking... Uh, they look at a brand, they'll look at uh, maybe your website, but then they'll go look at WeMaps Leafly. They'll go look at uh, other product reviews. And then they'll maybe go on social to do their due diligence, see what people are saying, if people are doing like smoke sessions online, right? So there's a lot of ways that people can, you know, just do research on you. And more than more than ever, like people are looking at reviews. I mean, it, Amazon has notorious for that, right? They have thousands of reviews for their products and it's part of uh, not only part of uh, building your reputation, but it's really valuable for SEO. So if right. you're able to generate the, the user user generated content on the SEO front, get your reviews, boom, you're going to, you want to 
show up above Weedmaps and Leafly when you're on Google for your brand. Like you shouldn't be sharing that traffic to these other third-party vendors. And that's another thing to consider is, you know, there's, yeah. um, there's a, you know, there's a lot of opportunity there. Uh, a lot of uh, consumers are switching from, or transitioning away from, uh, you know, searching for just like cannabis store or dispensary near me. Now they're starting to look for strains, obviously uh, brands, as you build that awareness and that brand equity, you need to capture that traffic and you should be number one <clears throat> in Google search results for your brand as that's, I mean, that should be step yeah. one. And if you don't for have sure. that, pay for some Google ads to protect your brand really. So you don't share that traffic. Look, I mean, let's let's go back again. I've been in the industry since, say, 2013. Um, if you go back to that time and up until recently, the typical cannabis brand's website was very basic. It was just kind of pictures of the founders, pictures of the farm, uh, a little bit of an about us and our ethos, you know, what sort of separates us from others, but very basic. And then if... Uh, if the website was evolved enough, there might be a store locator, which might be updated. <laughs> and that's the extent of sort of a, a cannabis 1.0 website in, in California, right? That was sort of the extent of it. So as a brand, there never was a focus into making the website into your storefront. It was just more like, hey, I'm running a business. I need a website. I'll put a few things up there, maybe for investors or partners or dispensaries that want to find out more information. But it was less about customers. It was less about yeah. consumers. And I understand that because until direct to consumer, there hasn't been a massive need to make that investment. And even if you made that investment, where were you going to send that traffic? Without DTC, you were basically going to send that traffic to an Ease, a Grassdoor, um, or through iHeartJane to some sort of a dispensary that may mm -hmm. or may not stock your product, even though they say they do. And even if they do stock your product, now you know a customer came to your website as a brand. You sent them to a store. There's probably like three or four individuals in between your product and that consumer. The person at the check-in, the person giving them the little list of specials, the bud tender, the person that's walking them around, all of those people are there to convince that customer to not buy the product that they walked in with intent to because they've got something that's better and half the price or they're pushing a promo or whatever that is. So yeah. it is so risky as a brand to send a customer from your website to a dispensary. And if you send them to a delivery service, maybe there's a higher chance that they'll buy your product, even though even on the delivery web, uh, service website, you're side by side with your competitor. But exactly. at the very least, yeah. you gave that delivery service a free digital customer. They didn't have to spend any money on lead gen. All they had to do is buy your product wholesale, make margin on retail. And on top of that, you're giving them a free customer. So... When you invest in DTC, you cut all that out. You, you cut the bleed. And now you actually have a justification to invest in organic, earned media, and paid media because yep. all of that media, all of that traffic is now funneling solely to you as a brand. You're not sending them somewhere to get lost. You're not giving them for free to a delivery service. You're hanging on to that customer. You acquired them, whether organically or through paid, they legitimately belong to you. Why on earth would you give your customers to someone selling competing products uh, to yeah. you? And yeah. so that's sort of the distinction. And, and you asked earlier, um, you know, why now? I think because 
when DTC has evolved to the point that it has, when we believe at Ginger, we're sort of the leaders in the industry and the pioneers, we have very evolved technology. We've created a lot of sort of um, top tier tools to allow brands to run an e-commerce business. Now that companies like Ginger exist is the right time to make that investment because those dollars are going to go pretty far where in the past they wouldn't have. Yeah. And you don't need much, right? Like you, you just need your license. Um, you know, you could either get a license to create your own delivery service or you just partner with the delivery service. That's, that's really all you need to do, right? It's not. Um, we, yeah. At, listen, at Ginger, we specifically try to make it as easy as possible for brands to join and sort of, we mm -hmm. handle the heavy lifting. You know, my <laughs> personal journey um, is after ease, I did a couple of things, but right before Ginger, I actually started my own cannabis brand, a sublingual oral spray called Click Spray. And it's a, sort of the industry labels that as a wellness product. Wellness products struggle in retail. I mean, everyone struggles, let alone a wellness product, which is typically, you know, 5% of sales in a dispensary. And there's a lot of brands that are in that category and they're all fighting for literally 5% of, of retail sales. So it's highly competitive. And, you know, when I decided to, to build Ginger, the idea was I wanted to build a company for brands. I always align myself with the brands. Every time, even my team knows whenever they come up with new ideas of, hey, we should do this or we should look into that. The litmus test for us is, does it help the brands? If it helps the brands, I'm listening. If it doesn't, I don't want to hear about it. And so part of what we're doing is we want to make it as easy for as easy as possible for brands to get into the DTC game. And I sort of say that there's really three things that are necessary for DTC to happen. And I'll go sort of bottom up because the interesting stuff happens at the top. Um, at the bottom layer, it's logistics, right? So warehousing, pick, pack, last mile delivery. Ginger has chosen to partner to make that happen. So we have uh, a couple of partners. Our largest partner is, is High Times, who has a lot of depots throughout the state. So we have a very large coverage footprint in, in primary and even secondary markets in California. Um, and so we offer logistics out of the box, um, sort of all under the Ginger umbrella. We've built what we think is incredible technology that makes it very easy for brands to create product pages, and many other um, sort of modern methodologies in e-commerce to make their website be future, be good for current technologies as well as future-proof so that, you know, their website is using all the proper modern tools for customer acquisition, funnel analytics, um, you know, drip campaigns when someone comes in and doesn't complete a purchase, all that's sort of built into our technology. That's the software layer that Ginger does. But most recently, we've also, we understood that even if we just give tech and logistics to brands, the name of the game here is demand. You know, you can have a store all day long, be ready to sell. No one walks into the door. You're not making any money. And so that's where Ginger has created these deep partnerships with, for example, MediaGel, um, where we've integrated everything that's necessary for campaign tracking into our solution. And essentially, now if a brand joins Ginger, out of the box, we help them with demand. So that's traffic to their website. We give them the technology to be able to sell on their website and we plug them into the infrastructure that we've already lined up to actually make the delivery. So now as a brand, there's really no reason not to do DTC anymore. You sign up with Ginger or you know any, any, anybody else for that matter, 
you're going to be able to get the services that are needed to start to jumpstart your e-com business. And sort of the last no I, I hear sometimes when, you know, we're on calls with brands is I don't have a marketing budget. And my rebuttal to that is, well, do you have a sales team? Oh yeah, no, I have a 10 person sales team. Okay. Take some of that budget and put it towards this because this is sales. It's just digital sales. And, you know, obviously you get all the benefits yeah. that, that I mentioned. Yeah. You know, I know there's a, you kind of, a, you have to be considerate of your partners, right? How can you maintain a positive relationship with the retailers that carry the same products in, you know, let's say a delivery service area that you are currently selling direct to consumer? We heavily encourage our brands to be everywhere. I think for sure. a brand to be successful, you need to have a healthy channel mix. You mm -hmm. cannot, no business can put all of its eggs in one channel's basket. And that's no. been what's been going on up until now. Most brands, it's all retail, maybe peppered in with some delivery services, but delivery services from a brand's perspective are pretty much a retailer. You know, they're just a... It's the same dynamic. You sell them your product wholesale. They do something with it. When they're out, they call you and they say, we want more product. So it, it, it effectively, the same. you get the same value, which is just a wholesale sale from the delivery service, same as you do get from retail. So if you bunch that together, literally most brands, their channel mix is one big pie that says 100% retail. That is not <laughs> a healthy place to be as a business. Because, and, and there's no consolidation. So there's a lot of mom and pops. So to be there, you have to spend a lot of money. To stay there, you have to spend a lot of money. And you're hoping that a bunch of these payers pay you on time. So there's complexities with that. So I think that as a brand, you can justify that to retailers and say, hey, you know, I want to work with you. I want to give you my product, no problem. But I need to also have a healthy channel list, uh, channel mix. And, and so DTC is one of them, but guess what? When I have a sale with you, that empowers me. But when I have a sale online, that empowers you because someone could, you know, buy online from me, come to the store to buy something else, see that product and buy it there. So there's an, for example, I would say Best Buy is, is a great example. Best Buy is a company that has really learned how to straddle the online and physical world, right? There's a lot of uh, retail outlets for Best Buy. There's a lot of people that walk into a Best Buy. There's a lot of people that just buy online, uh, either on Best Buy's website or or any other website. And it's it's this sort of immediacy and proximity to the consumer. A retail shop makes sense, but brand loyalty it may not make sense. And you want to capture both those audiences. In fact, if you've shopped on BestBuy.com. Um, as part of the checkout flow, there's literally an option that says, you know, get it delivered or store pickup, you know, at X location. So I can see a world where you, even DTC or sort of uh, e-commerce evolves into that. Now it's happening today, but only when the retailer owns the consumer, right? So if the retailer is bringing someone to their retailer website and they sort of have a, a pickup cart, that's fine. That works. And I think some retailers are doing that really well, but in the end, that doesn't necessarily benefit the brand because the retailer brought that customer and they own that customer data and that relationship. So in this DTC world, I totally see um, a situation where uh, DT, the, the brand um, acquires a customer, the customer comes to their website and then they're being given choices. Would you like to get it delivered tomorrow? 
at a mm -hmm. discount or you get the subscription box or whatever. Or if you need it now, we're going to assemble an order for you from this dispensary uh, a mile down the road and get it ready to be picked up. But that's sort of a, a lead that stayed with you. You controlled yeah. the experience. They were not exposed to competing products. You know, you, you assemble the cart and then just yep. send it to the POS of the retailer and then the customer just does that pickup. I think that that's fair. If, if that was the dynamic that was created, retailers should be happy because you're passively just generating sales for them that they don't have to work hard for. And um, that's where I see a kind of a healthy relationship between retailers and, uh, and brands in the future. Yeah, and we're at the halfway mark uh, you know, for our audience. So if you, you'd like to ask any questions, feel free to post them in the Zoom chat or in the Q&A in the bottom. Looks like we already have one here. Uh, yeah, Melissa, so you can just ask questions in the Q&A. So if you want to go ahead and type your question, uh, feel free. So I'll take a little break here, wait for, uh, for some questions to hop in. I mean, what do you, you know, in the meantime, Roy, like, what do you see as a future? Like, uh, <laughs> what is, uh, what does DDC look like uh, in 2025? In, in an ideal world, I think that DTC ends up being kind of 30 to 40% of a brand's uh, revenue wow. mix. Um, because in the end, it, it, it is something that justifies um, the juice is worth the squeeze and it justifies the investment. If you look at a typical kind of mid-sized brand, they're probably burning about a million dollars a year on their sales team. Now I, I ask you a question, Guillermo, if I was a brand yeah. and I came to you with a million dollar a year advertisement budget to bring traffic to my website, what kind of revenue do you think you can generate for me off that million dollars? Just to sort of compare apples to apples. It should, it should be at least, uh, I mean, like a five to one, like, you know, industry, industry average outside the cannabis industry is like a three. Uh, we're averaging about 11 to one on programmatic. Uh, but it just, you know, there's things that you have to take into consideration for the brand. Um, you know, number one, you know, what, what is their kind of product fit and price point? Like, is that, uh, you know, is it a value product? Because value product is going to really drive a lot of sales and high conversion rate. Are you offering discount codes, right? So are you offering some type of, you know, discount to incentivize people? Uh, and you really need to make sure you have everything set up, right? You need to have your omni-channel marketing experience uh, implemented. So you need to have e-commerce you know, built out on your website. You need to have your menu set up. You need to have a web developer to ensure that everything is going to ready to go. You need to have a pixel and analytics in place so you can track everything. So, um, you know, that's going to phase one. You're making it sound up. so daunting. <laughs> no, <I laughs> but mean, that's all been get, figured out. <laughs> yeah, so that's all been figured out. You need to get your menu up, website, your pixel. And then once all the tracking and everything's in place, then boom, let's like make sure this message is everywhere, right? Uh, so you want to make sure that we, you know, the vision, the mission, the if you have a, a great story, you know, from one of your founders, make sure that content is distributed everywhere, social media, uh, paid, earn, et cetera. Uh, you really want to invest in customer acquisition, right? So number one place for that is going to be SEO uh, as far as traffic. You also want, so that's going to be organic you also want to invest in some paid advertising campaigns for customer acquisition. So I would put a big budget behind uh, a programmatic display ads campaign. 
So for example, if I have, uh, if I'm wild and I sell gummies in California, uh, you know, at, at media gel, you know, we have, uh, first party consumer data on who's bought edibles or gummies in California. So what do you do? Create a programmatic campaign targeting everyone who's bought gummies in the last six months, show them the wild ad, get them to come to your, your website and purchase from you. Uh, same thing with paid search, right? So you can go Google ads, you can do uh, Bing ads. So Google ads is uh, more like 21 to 44 mobile, mobile users, uh, lower average income. Bing is 45 and up, higher income and desktop users. So really knowing your audience so that you can uh, activate advertising campaigns in the, in the channels that have the most relevant audience members to, to your brand. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah. So, you know, a lot of customer acquisition campaigns there, uh, SEO, paid search, display ads, like all those work really well. Uh, you can also advertise on like a marketplace like uh, Jane or some of these other platforms that allow brands to advertise. So just getting the word out there. And then once you actually, once you, you know, you have all the technology in place with Ginger, so you can capture that customer information, uh, they register, they check out, boom, they're, they're a customer have them opt in your marketing messages. Uh, and then you can send email, text messages uh, and push notifications to those users. Uh, so there's a lot of ways that you can nurture those existing customers. You know, if yeah. they go to your website or if they're in your database, do retargeting campaigns, make sure that they're always top of mind, right? So marketing rule seven is a little outdated. It's probably uh, more like 12 to 20 now, given all the distractions of social media and, you know, all the, all the different feeds that you need to scroll on a daily basis, like it's pretty much endless. So, you know, you really just have the infrastructure in place, get the message out there to the masses, track the results, and then optimize the campaigns based on which has the best return on ad spend. So have a million dollars, you can do a lot of five channels, <laughs> try five channels. You can measure the results for every channel. Tall, yeah. I just use it as, I think of it as like levers, like on a mixer. You know, and yeah. you, you know, this one has a high return. All right, I'm going to throttle this one up. This one doesn't. I'm going to throw this one down and just continue to to adjust your, your marketing spends based I mean, on that. I would so. say I would a couple of points on that. So first of all, on, on sort of the conversion um, and I would say when you start, when you first start a, uh, uh, you know, an online campaign or your online presence, you know, you're, you're going to have sort of the worst case scenario. You want to establish the baseline of what your acquisition cost is. Yeah. The data that I've seen kind of the worst case scenario, and it's really high is probably like 120 to $150 CPA, uh, which is wow. terrible, but it's sort of, if you did nothing and your website sucked and your pricing was too high and your packaging wasn't attractive, you know, you're looking at like about $150 customer acquisition cost. And then your target is to optimize that to, you know, somewhere, I don't know, you tell me, but I would say somewhere in the 20s would be a good number, you know, $20, $25 acquisition costs, you should be happy. That's really, really generous. <laughs> like that's a, that's a great, that's a great uh, number to shoot for. And uh, I exactly. mean, anything, anything that's under the 50, rate. anything that's under 50 is good to go. All right. So. But let's break it, but let's break it down. The average cart size um, on Ginger is, and this is real, real life data. And we, we've done so many deliveries that it, I think it's statistically significant. The average cart size on Ginger is $145. Okay. And you as a brand own 
145 of those dollars because you're not competing. It's not a mixed basket with other, other brands. So that sale that you got from that customer, you know, is $145 GMV or top line. Now, typical uh, revenue uh, split between Ginger and its uh, brands, happy to share, our publish rates are 60-40. So the brand keeps 60% of the sale. So they're, they're keeping about $55, $60 of that $145, more or mm-hmm. less. So now if your acquisition cost is 50 bucks, Literally, you made your money back on that customer uh, uh, roughly on that first sale. That customer already became sort of a break-even customer. Maybe if you added cost of goods, you know, you could be a little bit ahead, a little bit behind, but you're not losing your shirt on that first customer. Then some percentage of those customers are going to come back. Now they're in your system, so you can directly market to them, email campaign, SMS, what have you. And now they're free. Once you own them, this, the second time they came back and placed an order again, it's literally a free bought and paid for customer. And if they come back a third or a fourth time, you can ask them to be a referrer. So they bring friends for free, or maybe you give them 20 bucks to refer a friend and you start to drive a typical e-commerce funnel. So you take that, that ad spend money and it's not just going to general awareness, like a, a, a you know, black hole, which a lot of the marketing dollars in Canada, especially to support retail, seemingly go into a black hole. You know, you're just paying yeah. for ambassadors, you're paying for banners or billboards, hoping yeah. the, the, you know, the, they do a BOGO and something comes out of it. It just wishes and hopes and dreams and prayers is a lot of what this industry right now is, is built on. But with, with e-commerce, everything is data-driven and you, you, know, you sort of, like you said, it's dials and you make the investments where, where necessary. So that's sort of what we're enabling. And just to kind of back, back, backtrack to an earlier point, when I started in this industry, it was just mom and poppy. And then mm-hmm. as sort of legalization came about and we built this rec world, I, mean, I remember a time where there was, there were like a cannabis brand was typically just growers, or extractors. That was the the level of talent that worked at a brand was people who were touching the plant. You know, the the owner or the CEO or the founders were, oh, I have a grow. Oh, I know how to make, you know, turn cannabis into a great chocolate. Those were the people. And then as retail uh, shops started opening up when you had uh, recreational cannabis, then those brands needed to build teams that worked in a CPG world. And typically we drew those people from the outside, right? A head of CPG at Walmart or this or that. And brands upscaled and up-leveled and brought on teams of people that worked in their company to learn how to operate in a world where your products are sold in a competitive retail landscape. They didn't have those people. They didn't work for you as a brand in 2013 and 14 and 15. Now, what I urge everyone on this um, uh, webinar to do, if you run a brand, think about it now, is your responsibility to build sort of a digital marketing team. Just like you did it five years ago where you had to build a CPG team, whatever you know came with that, spend the time and energy, hire three or four, however many people, or work with agencies like MediaGel, and divert your attention and some of your capital towards building an effort for e-commerce. It isn't just about buying ads. And sometimes I hear this and maybe you heard this Guillermo as well with brands. You're like, "Eh, we tried, we we gave you guys a budget. 
and it didn't really work. I, I saw like no sales out of that. Well, A, you know, as a brand, it's a relationship. You can't just leave your media partner alone to hunt for you, you know, because they, they can yeah. get traffic. But if the offer isn't good, if the experience on your website isn't good. Yeah. yeah. So, so someone at the brand needs to manage the inbound traffic and optimize it. That's not just the responsibility of the media company. And again, if you did that three or four years ago without DTC, well, I'm sorry to say you wasted your money because what were you doing? You were paying an ad agency to bring people to your website and then sending them to Ease or to you know, a dispensary who was just going to take your customer and they were going to monetize them. You weren't even going to get the direct yeah. tracking on whether you got a conversion. So the fact that you know, in the last couple of years, companies like MediaGel have evolved, have created so many intersections of data where now you get you know, um, a footprint. I think TJ asked a good question, which is you know, dispensaries are a good place to find customers, but companies like MediaGel, what they do is they get that sort of foot traffic data. So they're able to run banner ads for people who have walked into a dispensary in the last 30 days and overlay that with data around age, gender, you know, income, et cetera. So when you're doing these programmatic ads, the idea is you're sort of hyper-targeting them to a segment that is very likely to be open-minded to your product. And so if you start doing that and then you lead them to a website that has an optimized flow that you're constantly monitoring, and then you have a DTC partner like Ginger that takes those orders and executes them well, gives you the tools to retarget those customers. Now you're running an e-commerce business. And to the extent that's successful is the extent that you can dial back some of your investment in the crazy world, which is retail, or at least have a hedge against it so that you're not overly exposed in one segment of the market. Yeah, and just you know, to your point, you know, the once you get the customer in, and they're loyal to you. Uh, you have to really consider the long-term and lifetime value of that customer. So just based on your $140 average order, let's just say the customer orders- 145. 140, oh, sorry. So one <laughs> four, so I just posted this in the chat. So let's just do 145. 145 times one order per quarter, uh, which should be reasonable. Uh, for three years is what you typically use as a you know, for, you know measurement point. So that's going to be, let's see here. That is going so one hundred forty-five dollars times four orders per year times three years. That's one thousand seven hundred forty dollars for one customer. So you spend fifty dollars to acquire that customer over the life of your relationship. At least for the first three years, you're generating over seventeen hundred. So the return is there. You you have to look at long term. You can't you just don't look on the sh short term side and just look at the first transaction. The real value of this is long term because that compounds, right? You're investing this money. Your number of customers you have in your database is growing. Mm -hmm. The number of people that you can engage with grows, and the revenue compounds over time. So quarter over quarter, you're going to start to see that um, that revenue growth and you know, that's, that's right. how I look at things. If this is my brand, honestly, I would just spend as much, if I had a, a edibles brand in California, I would just spend as much money as possible. If I can get the right cost, you know, customer acquisition. And when I'm thinking long-term, if I can generate $1,800 off this customer over three years, I'm willing to pay a hundred, $150 for that. I don't care. Right. 
Absolutely. Like I'm willing to take a loss on that first order. Uh, yeah. Let's and- take a look. <clears throat> Mm-hmm. Go ahead and say, let's take a break. Let's start looking at these uh, questions here. So, uh, Alexi, uh, how SEO and how important is SEO and UX to DTC? I that one. Uh, so, UX is important, right? You need to make the, the ability to check out and, and just go through the product list on your website easy. That's uh, pretty much done. Ginger's done that. So, check that off the list. Next is SEO. Uh, I believe. Ginger has all that taken care of. So all the elements that you need to uh, ensure that your website is SEO friendly, boom, it's already plug and play on Ginger. The only thing that I would recommend is to uh, get as many reviews as possible on your product, on your individual products, because that's going to help increase your reputation. It's going to help uh, with your reviews, which will help with SEO and positioning each individual brand higher in the search engine results list. So when someone searches for Jeter, boom, a Jeter uh, Indica infused pre-roll, boom, this, that, that specific product page on Jeter should rank number one above everyone, above Weed Maps and everyone else. So take that into consideration. Uh, let's see. What about influencer marketing? Is it worth pushing or pursuing? Yeah, I mean, I would do influencer marketing, but more for the, uh, to, increase the followers and engagement of your brand on social, and then you can convert those followers into users on your website. So have a website link on your Instagram profile or you know any of these other channels, uh, leverage the story uh, functionality, right? So you can have a link in your stories that you can send people to your shopping cart. So activate them. Uh, you can also have like a, a phone number where they can text you to join your loyalty program. And in the text message that they receive, you know, thank you for joining, boom, order online, all that stuff's automated, orders are coming in, and that's the best way to monetize your social media following. And most mm-hmm. people don't do that. Uh, and let's see, Anonymous, do you think cannabis has a lot to learn from boutique elevated apparel CPG brands when it comes to retail partnership sales and marketing? I'll let you take that one. Yeah, I mean, I would say, of course, um, and in general, I would also say, look at look at Nike, for example. There's tons of articles where they're just showing this the success of their DTC. I believe I've seen a, a recent statistic that now in the U.S., something like forty percent of Nike's revenue is DTC. If you can imagine, wow. and wow. and you know, think about it. Who wants to walk into a Foot Locker? And Foot Locker is the most competitive place because there's maybe 10 brands and they'll only have like four or five shoes. And shoes is actually a good example because, right, Nike is so good with, I mean, I don't know how many SKUs they have now, probably thousands or maybe (laughs) tens of thousands. No, I mean, just of like a a, of a of a Jordan, sneaker. yeah. There's exactly there's so many color variations inside. Yeah. It just it's endless, right? So yeah. there's no way in the world that a typical that one retailer or one Footlocker would stock what you know what what people want. Um, and so ultimately, I do think that brands can learn from what other sort of apparel or micro brands or even influencer driven brands can do. Um, I think that you need to maintain a a retail presence. Don't get me wrong. I'm not sort of anti-retail. I think they need to get their act together in terms of payments and everything else. But a lot of it is just because they're trying to operate a business with one hand tied behind their their back. But in the end, it's as a brand, it is good to maintain some level of retail presence. But at the same time, 
you can rip a page from what everybody else outside of cannabis is doing in e-commerce and DTC. And if you just implemented what they did, because in the end, it's not rocket science. There are uh, tried and true methods on how to acquire customers. There's plenty of uh, books and services and media companies and people you can hire into your team that have done this for the beverage industry or alcohol or you name Mm -hmm. it. Just like you hired that CPG person that used to stock brands in Walmart and you brought them into your brand to help you stock your brand in dispensaries, find that person who, you know, was a ninja digitally marketing their brand online and bring them into your company. One thing that I hear a lot, and I want to dispel this rumor right now, and Guillermo, back me up on this. <laughs> I hear this sort of complaint of like, well, but you know, we can't advertise on Instagram. We can't do Facebook ads. We can't like yeah. whatever, man. By the way, there's there's ways to be successful today as, as a retailer doing um, online uh, marketing and as a brand yep. doing online marketing. And that's in today's world where you can't do these things. I would advise brands to get in the game today, you know, get your feet wet, optimize your website, build a team. And a year or two or whenever from now, when you can advertise on Instagram and all of that, you'll already be in position. It's just literally one more source of traffic, but everything else will already be built. So now's the time to actually make that investment. And I don't like to hear when people say either, hey, I've tried it and I waste the money. I didn't get anything. Well, you probably tried it too early because you're sending that traffic to retail or, yeah. well, I just can't advertise on on uh, Google or are doing Instagram <laughs> campaign. And, and it's like, you know, I mean, for MediaGel alone, uh, how many web properties can you guys run your programmatics on? I mean, you, you tell 75,000. <laughs> yeah. So. So, yeah, it's pretty much endless. Yeah, it's it's a broken record at this point. Like it's it's actually uh, embarrassing when I when I'm reading these articles on these mainstream publications when everyone talks about the same thing that you can't advertise cannabis when that's completely false it's just you don't have people on your team that can (laughs) run advertising campaigns and uh instagram facebook like cool you know those are social media platforms but just focus on organic on those do pay it on other platforms yes i can yes we can get ads approved on google on bing we can get ads approved on seventy-five thousand publishers and when i'm publishers i'm saying uh you know, where is everyone on, uh, <laughs> on all the time? They're on their cell phones. What are they doing? They're, uh, you know, I'm playing Sudoku. I'm playing Words with Friends. Boom. All, they don't like the, you know, people are cheap. They don't want to pay for ads or pay for apps. So we put we put your Canvas brand in those apps. You're on Grinder. You want to date? Boom, go ahead. Or you want to check the weather, weather app? Boom, you're getting hit another time with ads. You're looking at uh, Nine Gag, looking at some memes. Boom, you get hit with another ad. Like it's follows you around where wherever that you are active. And you know, the great thing about you know, say programmatic is that you can uh you can target uh cannabis consumers with precision. So, you know, we draw a fence around any um any dispensary. Anytime someone walks in there, they get put in an audience and then we target them with ads. And it's just so I, relevant. Yeah. I, I agree with that. And I see some of the questions. Uh, happy to. Yeah, go ahead. Take a crack. I think uh, Megan's question. So, <clears throat> um, you know, we don't disclose sort of numbers of deliveries, et cetera. But I will tell you this. Wellness, wellness brands are ones that do 
disproportionately well with us or DTC as compared with retail and disproportionately in, in a good sense. If, uh, if ginger was the wellness brands uh, retail store, we would be their largest retail store that, you know, they, they do more with us than any other retailer. Um, and by far, and maybe even an aggregate of the amount of revenue a wellness brand does with us would be the equivalent of what they do in 20 or 30 dispensaries with all the overhead and headache that comes with, with that. And the reason for that is specifically for the wellness segment, wellness brands require a lot of education and introduction and information. And there's no way in hell the bud tender is going to articulate that as well as you will, if at all. Bud tenders are geared towards selling flour, concentrate, vapes, edibles, probably in that order. Um, yep. And it is the thing that they consume personally and the thing that they know the most. And if you come in and you and you, if you have a um, retiree aged customer walking in looking for a joint pain cream and a, you know, sort of mid 20s. Bud tender, uh, you know, is is there to give them the advice. It's unauthentic. They don't have the information. They might walk you to the wellness section, wait for you to make a selection, you know, or answer any questions around pricing. Yeah. And that's about it. So with DTC, you can basically run a clean website, educate people, um, you know, get them, walk them through a funnel, get them to understand what the product does, and then just embed your buy nows everywhere. So I think with company with uh, specific categories like the wellness category, DTC should be you should be all over it if you, if that was a brand that that you had because ultimately, yeah. you know, that's something that is really going to be beneficial for you. And then I see Gabrielle's question. So what are the terms for payments to brands? Sounds like a lot of retailers are not paying brands. Can DTC companies guarantee that they will pay their brands on time? So essentially, when you're working in the retail model, you're, you know, sort of, there's, there's many hands in the cookie jar, right? Because the retailer is, is ordering typically on net terms. Sometimes a brand can command COD, not always, not most often. So you're giving them product on net term. And then if you're in 100 stores, that's 100 payers that may or may not pay you. Um, and there's a lot of complexities with that. And when they pay, they don't pay you directly, typically, unless you're doing self-distribution. They're really paying your distributor. And then you're sort of at the whims of your distributor's cash flow to then pay you. There's a lot of risk there. With Ginger, specifically, the way we do it, I can't speak of other uh, DTC companies, we really have one large statewide partner. And as we scale to other states, that's sort of our model. And that partner is committed Two ginger clients. The banking is separate for all the DTC uh, transactions. We sort of um, built the system that way, so we have oversight, and there's no intermingling of funds between whatever uh, other operations our partners have and what operations exist on on ginger. So that gives us the comfort level that the payment is going to be done, um, you know, as as is sort of advertised. And also our uh, our contract calls for a payment on the sort of fifteenth of every month for the for the previous month, sort of neck thirty though it could be less just depends on uh, when your transactions occurred. Uh, versus as we've heard recently, some of our competitors or one of the largest competitor has just now uh, shifted their their net terms to net one twenty. So you know you get a transaction today you get your money in four months. So we try to get you paid, you know, as, as quickly as we can. 
and there's really only one payer. So there's a bit, there, there's just not less hands in the cookie jar and hopefully yeah. that provides some of that uh, coverage for you. Yeah, expedites um, that whole process. Yeah, and then uh, yeah. we got another question here. How difficult is it for my brand to optimize the website for DDC? Uh, it's not that difficult. You know, we can, you know, if you set up a call with us, uh, we'll send a link after the call or after the session. Uh, we'll take a look at the website, see if there's any, you know, basic improvements. But the main thing is that you need to have a shop now link and then you need to have your e-commerce on and you need to make that as simple as possible. So when someone's, you know, high as a kite <laughs> uh, and wants to order some weed, they should be able to use it on their phone, you know, with you know, when they're impaired, right? So <laughs> should be really easy for them to use it. Uh, so yeah, reach out to us and we'll definitely help you on that. And, you know, to your point, I was just thinking about the, you know, as, as you said, with Nike, uh, I was at Union Square yesterday and, uh, you know, I went to the Apple store and I went to the Nike store, right? I didn't, <laughs> I prefer to go to Nike than go to Foot Locker and these other places because they have all the custom drops, right? So they have all the, all the kicks that I want. They have the, you know, they mm -hmm. have the actual Jordans I want in stock. I don't have to wait for two, four weeks. Right. So that's another thing. And it just cuts consumers, out. That consumers want to identify with the brand. Do yeah. you care if you bought your can of Coca-Cola at a 7-Eleven or a Chevron gas station or a Target? No, you care about the Coca-Cola, not where you bought it. So yeah. I think the dispensaries, their value, and I'm not saying they don't have value, but their value is proximity and convenience. Nothing else in my personal opinion. Meaning, yeah, you might have a little bit of a nicer flow, a little bit of a nicer experience, but you know, if your sign is bigger and nicer, does that mean that that's your value add as a dispensary? Not really, not in my mind. You're, you're, you're there because you, are, you have proximity to the consumer, you provide a good price, and a yep. good experience. That's it. it. But no more than that. They're not, I'm not going to walk around loving my dispensary and wearing their hoodies <laughs> and wearing this and wear that. Cookies is the rare exception. And they broke through and created a lifestyle brand. Yeah. I don't see any more. I mean, MedMen wasn't even trying to go for lifestyle. They weren't doing too well. So I just don't see people long-term identifying with the store. And even if they do, so what? I think that's going to be minuscule compared with the brand. Consumers want to identify with the brand. And if that's the case, where else can you tell your story better than on your own website where you get to own the customer? And now it's going to take work. It's not about just, oh, let me sign up with Ginger, send them the product and sales are just going to start streaming in. Not at all. But what is going to happen is if you sign up with Ginger, you are now enabling yourself to justify building a digital marketing team, spending money on digital and starting to build your own online business that no one can take away from you. You're not going to get a call from a buyer saying, Hey, sorry, we're not going to stock your product anymore. Yeah, that's, it's tremendously important. And, you know, what's second that is, you know, definitely prioritize D2C uh, set yourself up for long-term, right? You know, not only is this good for your retail sales, but if you're raising money with investors, if you have a DTC arm, you can say, Hey, we have a database of 50,000 customers and, uh, you know, we yeah. already generate this much revenue from them. And this is the, how much we can forecast on our revenue just from DTC. 
You know how yeah. sexy that is for investors? You know, another <laughs> talk, talk about something sexy for investors. We actually just started offering financing for cannabis brands to be able to finance their ad spend. So if you join Ginger, we can yep. provide you financing for that ad spend. So now if you're in front of an investor, you're like, hey, you know, this is where my money is going to go. And by the way, I can even borrow it and sort of pay over time. Mm -hmm. And that money is being put towards growth, measurable digital growth that translates to sales. That's something that makes uh, that makes investors very excited because, you know, they don't want to invest in sort of some of the uh, uh, less predictable pieces of a typical cannabis brand business. But when it's just like, hey, these dollars are going to go here. We're expecting this CPA. It's going to start here over time. It's going to go down. And by the way, we can finance the marketing. Um, yeah you know, that becomes a very valuable proposition. That's a win-win. Uh, well, thank you, Roy, for joining today and sharing your, your insights with our audience here. And thank you, everyone, for joining us on the Cannabis Marketing Live podcast. We covered a lot today. We're really talking about D2C and how to uh, really spark demand with DTC, DTC strategies and really future-proof your, future, I mean, future your brand and, and accelerate your growth, right? So... Uh, thank you, Roy, again for, for joining. Thank you. Anyone else uh, that's on the call, uh, feel free to uh, reach out to us. Uh, I posted the Calendly link in the in the chat here. Uh, schedule a call with us there. Uh, I'll invite Roy to that call, and we can we can dive in deeper into these different opportunities. Uh, and uh, shout out to Media Gel again, who is the sponsor. Media Gel is the leading cannabis marketing platform, helping cannabis brands reach consumers through you know, compliant ad network of 75,000 publishers. As a brand, you have access to real-time reporting, analytics dashboard, and you can track every sale um, from all the marketing campaigns that you run. So definitely check out MediaGel.com. And thank you for logging in today, and I'll catch you next Thursday, same time, same place. Uh, we'll be talking about something else fun. So catch you later, thank everyone. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye.